Hi everyone, I'm Tammy Williams and welcome to Naturally Brown Woman. This is the natural resource for women of color. On June, or I should say in June of 2020, Kimberly Jones actually went downtown Atlanta to help a friend document events uh, of the protests that were going on. Now she didn't realize that she was actually going to be a part of the story. Here's what happened. So I've, I've been seeing a lot of things talking of the people making commentary. Um, interestingly enough, the ones I've noticed that have been making the commentary are wealthy black people making the commentary about we should not be um, rioting, we should not be looting, we should not be tearing up our own communities. And then there's been an argument of the other side of we should be hitting them in the pocket. We should be focusing on the blackout days where we don't spend money. Um, but, you know, I feel like we should do both. And I feel like I support both. And I'll tell you why I support both. I support both because there, when you have a civil unrest like this, there are three types of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to shit up and that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why, and that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting that's their only opportunity to get it we need to be questioning that why why are people that poor why are people that broke why are people that that food insecure that clothing insecure that they feel like their only shot that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, 
if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you, and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money, I didn't allow you to have anything on the board, I didn't allow for you to have anything, and then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly, and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa, that was Rosewood, There are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them, and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play. And every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your Monopoly money. And then finally at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity hire. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the f do I give a shit about burning the football hall of fame, about burning the target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a f You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so your target. Your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. Kimberly Jones, welcome to Naturally Brown Woman. Now, I'm gonna say this to everybody out there who just watched this video. If you watch this video and you're like, oh my God, I get it, you know, I understand this, then I want to encourage you to watch it again. If you just watch this video and you're like, I have no clue what's going on, I just think she's an angry black woman, please watch it again. Please watch it again. There's so much truth in what she has said. And Kimberly, 
I must say that I have not seen a video uh, like that and the truth spoken so well uh, in a very, very long time, very long time. It is enlightening, it is empowering. And my very first question to you is that when you finished and you walked over, I noticed you walked over and you put your head down on a friend. Mm -hmm. What was happening to you at that moment? What was going through your mind? Uh, that was my dear friend, Brandy Salter. And I honestly, at that moment, I was just exhausted. I felt like I had carried the burden of that message since my childhood. That, that first line is a line from a speech uh, that Reverend Willie T. Barrow of Operation Push that she gave. She since passed away. She was one of my mentors growing up. And so this, this notion of Black economics in America um, as it relates to the slave trade and how it's continuing to affect us to this day. Um, you know, it's a message I've carried for a very long time. And so I just felt so tired yeah. um, at that, in that moment. And, you know, I always jokingly say, I feel like that I didn't deliver that speech that the ancestors took over and I was just a vessel. So I just <laughs> felt spent afterwards. And I was so grateful that she was there because I just needed to collapse. It was physically draining. Yeah. And, you know, we could actually feel that, you know, um, and I said it was so much truth. It's like, it's like all those emotions and the way you broke down and used the analogy of the Monopoly board game. And, um, it, it was just so clear. It was just so clear. And so thank you. Thank you for having that moment. I know you didn't expect to have that moment at that date. No. You're doing something else. You're working in production. You're, you know, I'm talking, you're talking to other people, getting men on the street yeah. interviews, and then it just hits you. And it's a, a brilliant moment that a lot of people have been watching. And I pray that they will continue to watch that. Uh, a couple of points I wanted to ask you about. Um, another quote, you said, they are lucky what Black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. And mm -hmm. lots of times people think that we just want revenge. It's like, yeah. No. No. We don't talk about that a little bit. No, and it, you know, it's this, it's this, it's this interesting pattern of the perception being that if we were the powers that be, that we would exercise our power in the same way that it has been exercised over us. And so I think that that's where some of the fearfulness comes from. I think that's when you see things activated, like you know, the, the reanimation of the KKK and, and the introduction of organizations like the Proud Boys and that kind of sentiment is that, you know, it's difficult for someone to wrap their head around the fact that you wouldn't behave with the same um, brutality yeah. that they have against you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of like I always liken it to a cheating boyfriend, right, who accuses you of cheating because they know what they're doing behind closed doors kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And so I think that has kind of been the notion is that if we came into any semblance of power, that we would be as brutal as people have been to us. And it's really, really not the case. Like Black people by and large are very loving, giving, excited, creative. I can't remember who said it, but there's- Forgiving. Yeah, forgiving. Yeah, forgiving and empathetic. Um, Black people showcase empathy towards everybody, despite the fact that we don't receive that same empathy. And, you know, I always say that, you know, the marketing plan to make you fear black people has been the most successful marketing plan in the world, in the nation. And so 
this this idea that we should be fearful when you look back at things that even like Ida B. Wells was trying to combat in the press, um, you know, during you know post reconstruction, it's like no, we're we're not violent, we are not conquerors, we are not colonizers. That is not our nature. We are not brutalizers. We are not barbaric in our behavior. Um, someone said jokingly, you know, we're kind of the nerds of the globe. Like we just want to like create cool stuff. Um, and that's all we want to do, but we want to do it in peace without being bothered and ostracized and brutalized. So no, we're not coming for anybody's head. We really just want to be left alone. Yeah, we want the, the equal opportunity, you know, we yeah. have that opportunity to uh, express ourselves creatively and you, you and I both work in a very creative industry um, we just we want that opportunity and what's in our heart what's in your heart doesn't mean is in our hearts too like we're, right. we're not out for blood you know that right. kind of thing. no not at all yeah and you mentioned also um, here um, playing on behalf when we get an opportunity to play Monopoly when we get a chance to play it and the challenges the psychological challenges that we face when we finally get to the game when we're able to play you know yeah talk about that yeah you know at the end of the day you look at you look at moments where we've had um programs that were introduced um in order to try to let level the playing field and then those were used against us equal opportunity was you know something that was put into place to try to play to try to level the playing field and so that the because the notion is that we are less than because people live in this this white supremacy delusion um you know then they use that against us oh well you're not it's not that you would be qualified on your own it's that you're an equal opportunity hire and it's like no i'm qualified and have been qualified it's just that the door wouldn't even be open for me if it wasn't for this programming and then you look at places in which we were thriving, you look at Tulsa and Rosewood and Wilmington, North Carolina, um, just to name a few of places where we thrived when we were left be, where we, when we guided our own station, when we had our own sheriffs, when we had our own banks and hospitals and homes and 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 in churches and things like that, um, like you saw in those spaces. Then with the like the flick of a hair, any irritation, and the it was that wealth was destroyed. It was burned down to the ground. Um, and then just even the fact that we've been blocked out of industry, um, we've been blocked out of what I call root industry. So yeah, you might own a t-shirt line that is successful, but there's not opportunity for us to be cotton farmers. Like, you know what I mean? So we don't really control the industry. We're, we are, we have been relegated to service industry mm -hmm. and that yes, we can, I can open a store in which I can serve, but I am not the root of the industry. I don't own the cotton for the t-shirts. Yeah. If I have a smoothie shop, I don't own the farms where the fruit is, is growing. If I own a cell phone company, I don't own the manufacturer yeah. um, that, is, that is making the cell phones. And so that's part of where that disparagement comes from is that we have been blocked out of root industry. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some people would say, Oh, you just have to want it, you know. Mm. So you just have to want it. Yeah. Talk about Pull yourself that. up by your bootstraps. Yeah. My, my good friend, attorney Gerald Griggs, who is the vice president of the Georgia chapter of the NAACP, he always says, in order for us to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, we'd have to have the boots. We don't have the boots. <laughs> yeah. We don't have the boots. We don't have. We the don't boots. have the boots. Yeah. 
Well, Kimberly, I mean, like I said, it's a very powerful video. I want to know, honestly, honestly, a lot of people, like I said, have watched it. What has happened with you since? I want to know if, have you received any backlash, you know, and what does that look like, you know, for speaking truth? Because many people are afraid to speak truth because of the backlash. They are. You know? They are. They are definitely. You know, I definitely, once the video went viral, I was concerned about my writing career. And I was like, well, I'm definitely going to be canceled. I won't be getting any more calls from Hollywood or publishers. Um, but I'm, I'm blessed and fortunate in that the opposite happened. Um, I've actually been offered more deals and more opportunities. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that I haven't received you know, my fair share of backlash because I have, but it's mostly a lot of internet trolling, to be honest, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, kind of comes with the territory. So I'm used to that. Um, definitely when the, you know, when they decide to deploy uh, the Russian bots to attack accounts, I'm at the top of their list. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I've learned how to navigate that, learn how to redirect my followers to understand that this is probably not even a real person that y'all are arguing with when someone is engaging in this way who doesn't even follow me who came you know to my to my page to stoke tempers um i'm like this is probably a bot and i'm not going to respond to that yeah. um but for the most part it's been good like i said the my team is very good at keeping the negative mm -hmm. voices away from me so that i can focus on the work so I'm blessed in that way. But honestly, like I've received so much love globally. Um, it's been so surprising. Like they built a 44 meter wall to me in Belgium and I have a, um, a mural up in Oakland, California. And I've you know done interviews in Australia and Europe. I, I had a Zoom call with all the black MPs in the UK. And, and so, you know, by and large globally, I think, um, because as the as old church preachers would say, I just made it plain. It was very difficult to dispute the facts. Yes, and you also you received uh, GQ's Voice of the Year award. Yes, I have it right here. <laughs> oh, it's nice. <laughs> so heavy. It's I love it. It's so heavy. Yeah, it was. And 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 again, speaking of like you know global impact, that was. Yes. That was GQ Germany actually that um, listed me. All all the GQ brands have their Men of the Year awards that they they um, that they that they give out, and GQ Germany made me Voice of the Year, which is absolutely amazing. And I got to get all dolled up and be in GQ, so that was pretty cool. That was cool. Um, and I, you know what? Yeah, I just was... have to say that that's when I that was my first opportunity to work with you was to, to film your video. Uh, yeah. Speech. You know, like, so hey, I gotta throw that in. So that was pretty awesome. You, you are you are an awesome producer, and that was lots of fun. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're right. You're making an impact, and uh, like to say, you're making a mark. You know that cannot be erased. You know, and Kim, that's very something powerful to do, and uh, to impact people's lives like you have. Um, really, really making a difference. One another thing that you talked about is you know, how can we be comfortable in speaking out? How would you encourage someone to speak their truth? And it's like, it's okay. You know, we're seeing more of it now, thank God. But for those who are still yeah. kind of laid back, I'm a little fearful because I may lose this or lose that. What would you say to them? I would say, make sure that you have your facts together. 
Um, I think that it's very easy to speak out when it's rooted in history, when it's rooted in data, when it's rooted in statistics. I always tell everybody like browbeat people with the truth and the facts and make sure that you are fact checking yourself, that you are not looking to internet memes or Google or Wikipedia, um, which people forget that Wikipedia is contributed to and by the from the people, which I respect, um, but it's not vetted. It's not a vetted source. Um, so make sure that you're looking for information. You know, I talk a, a lot about the economic disparagements um, in terms of education. And so I made sure I knew what those numbers actually were mm -hmm. so that no one could could dispute that very early on in this process is getting, you know, it's difficult for me to do it now, but very early on in this process, I would study two hours a day um, in the morning just to educate myself, whether it was watching a documentary or reading a book or looking up something on a, a university library um, to, to arm myself with information. So when I'm telling people um, that we need housing lending for African-Americans because we didn't receive it and they say why, it's very easy for me to truth speak you know, speak truth to power to tell them because $200 billion of, of home lending was in underwritten for people between 1925 and 1960 because the U.S. knew that the quickest way to develop the middle class was through home ownership. And so 98% of that went to white Americans. 2% of that went to everybody else. That's not, that's not me pontificating. That's a fact. That is, that is searchable data. And so I tell people that all the time, study and be equipped with the facts, with the law, with the truth. And then no matter what you're saying, it, you know, it doesn't come off as extremist rhetoric because it's just rooted in the facts. Yeah, I love that. Know your facts before you start talking. Know yeah. your facts and know the source of your facts. Yeah. You know, know your facts. Yeah, be able to cite it. Yeah, what, what, is, what are some of the next steps? I know... Uh, you know, we're going into new leadership uh, in our government, new president. What do you think are some of the the next steps? I mean, we're excited. You know, a lot of us are excited. Some of us are not. Yes. <laughs> a lot of us are excited yes. about the Biden-Harris ticket. Um, but even with that, you know, what are the next steps as far as, you know, uh, racism and, or, or, and, and social justice, you know? Well, I think I think first we have to, if we want Biden and Harris to be able to actively participate in the economic and 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 health of the development of Black people, we have to pad them with what they need in order to be able to be productive. So I think the first thing that people need to be looking at are the two runoffs here in Georgia. Um, if we are going to take the Senate back from Mitch McConnell, who has been a demon to the people, if we're being honest, the first thing we have to do is give the Senate back over to the Dems. And the quickest way that we're going to do that is to win these two runoff seats here in Georgia. Um, that's for Warnock and Ossoff. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need to start galvanizing people around getting prepared for that runoff, participating in that runoff, and showing up with the same kind of um, potency that we did for the, for the federal election. The other thing is we have to make sure that we are paying attention to what's going on locally because these are the laws that affect us on a daily basis and these are the politicians that we can where we can actually people speak a lot about holding politicians feet to the fire and the best way to do that is at the local level because of access and also because these are the laws that affect you on a daily basis I always use it as my example. I live in Fulton County. Marijuana is decriminalized in, in, in Fulton County. If you're caught with a user's amount 
of marijuana in Fulton County, you're going to get a $50 fine. You can drive four blocks up the street. You don't even have to drive four blocks up the street. If you're standing on Memorial in Moreland, you can cross the street, be in DeKalb, and actually get a prison sentence for the same amount of marijuana. And so this is just proof, um, proof of concept of the notion that our local laws affect us far more. Um, you know, I'm a member of the People's Uprising. We are a task force here in Georgia at the time of the civil unrest was still at its height. Um, we were being brutalized by the National Guard. We have lawmakers on our task force that were able to write policy that we were able to get passed that prevented the National Guard from using rubber bullets and certain chemical, mm -hmm. chemical agents against us. Yeah. Um, and so that's how you make incremental change um, for your community is paying attention to what's happening at the local level. Our kids are not properly being educated. We need to look at who is, you know, the school board is a, an elected position. Um, we didn't lose Breonna Taylor at the White House. We lost her at the DA's office. Yeah. I was very proud of the Georgians in the district of Brunswick, Georgia, because the woman who botched the Ahmaud Aubrey case was voted out um, during this, this past election cycle. And so these are the things that I want people to look at you know, beyond the Biden-Harris ticket, we passed a lot of very impressive laws um, across the nation. We nearly made America green. And what I mean by that is we decriminalized marijuana, made it available to people who need it for medical purposes almost in every state except for five. Um, Georgia is one of those five, so we need to work on that. We gave all felons in the state of California their right to vote back. In Georgia, you can vote if you're a felon, but only if you're off paper and you have all of your fines paid. And so that's part of what the push was for this last election, felons who were off paper who still had fines. You know, organizations like mine, like TPU, like New Georgia Project, all of this, we were making sure they were, one, aware of that information. And then there was online movement to pay felons fines so that they could vote. You've assimilated back into society and proven your position. You should have the right to, um, you should have a say in who governs you. And so that was given back to felons in California. We got rid of sovereign immunity here in Georgia, which was massive, because what that means now is that we can prosecute officers who commit um, crimes and they're not protected by sovereign immunity anymore, which has protected them because we've had to sue the state in these murder cases, and we should call them what they are, murder cases. We've had to sue the state and proving that the state exercised negligence is very difficult, but proving that an individual human has exercised poor judgment is a lot easier. And so we made that easier. And so those are the kind of things Yes. that I want people to focus on is let's let's get let's get this these Senate seats so that Biden Harris has the support to get things done. Let's hold their feet to the fire and let's recognize that voting is a really our ability to hire and fire. The woman in Brunswick did a horrific job and we fired her. And yeah. it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. So definitely getting involved, you know, knowing what's happening locally. Yeah. Don't just depend yeah. on a group of people to do it, you know, but get involved no. with the group of people get involved with everybody just get involved to make change yeah. get involved civic and civic engagement is something we should definitely be teaching yeah. in schools because i get a lot of people come to my page and they ask me kim how these are adult people middle-aged people that are mm -hmm. saying to me kim how do i you're always saying get involved at the local level how do i do that and i'm like well every law or bill that gets passed in your state has to go through public comment you need to be aware of the do, the dates of public comment and show up. You can show up to the budget meetings of your city council and have a say in how those funds are allocated. We just, another bill that just got passed in Georgia, um, 
you know, adjusted how we allocate those funds so that it's actually getting directly to the people and no longer just going into the pockets of politicians and their contractor friends. Um, And so, you know, there's all these ways in which you can, besides the vote to hire a fire, but you can show up for, you can show up for city council meetings. You can go in on public comment on on bills. Um, you you can do grassroots lobbying. You know, poor people vote and rich people lobby. This is why rich people get laws passed that benefit their businesses because they have the lobbying funds. But there's grassroots lobbying that can be done that is just as just as potent um, and has and I've seen it work. I saw six female students from Agnes Scott get a campus rape bill passed. Six girls yeah. lobbied on six teenage girls yes. lobbied yes. on their own and got a law passed. And so we need to teach better civic engagement so people can know exactly how they can get things done. Yeah. yeah. Kimberly, um, before we, you share so much information, so much just knowledge um, on this, in this interview, um, before we, uh, say goodbye, so to speak, or see you later, as we always like to see say. See you later. Uh, see you later. <laughs> it's never goodbye, but see you later. Let's, you have a book. We want to let people know about your book that you have coming out. Uh, well, it's already out. Um, yes. And I don't know if I'm able to talk about some great things that may be happening with the, with the book, but. Um, yes, that's, it's, <laughs> it's out there. So this is the book. Uh-huh. It's called I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. It was nominated for an NAACP Image Award this year. It is a New York Times bestseller. We were on the New York Times list for three weeks in yeah, a row. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that I think you're talking about is the film rights have been purchased from it. Um, prominent pictures and radar films. Um, prominent is Autumn Bailey here um, with Cameron Burnett, who is Mark Burnett's son, their company Prominent. And then Radar Films, which is the company that did the last Jumanji, um, they are partnering together. Um, and are turning the book into a film. We already have a lead actress attached. That part I'm not able to tell. I can't tell that. Okay. <laughs> I, I can tell you later, but okay. I can't say it out here. Uh, but um, and so yeah, so the ball is rolling on that. And then I have a nonfiction novel called How We Can Win, which is an extension of my video that'll be out in the spring if I ever finish getting it written. It's probably going to be more like June. But um, yeah, so I have have that coming out. And so, yeah, and I have some other exciting things on the horizon that I'll be able to talk about real soon. Okay. Kim, thank you so much for being uh, who you are and doing what you do and encouraging all of us and pushing all of us, all of us and challenging us. Um, thank you for being that voice. I do agree with GQ, Germany. <laughs> I give you the voice of the year award. Thank you so much for speaking <laughs> out, speaking truth and with so much power in that truth. Um, we love it. Thank you for being a part of Naturally Brown Woman as well. No, thank you. Thank you so much for having me.